Hello, my name is Manny Rincon Cruz. I'm the executive director here for the Hoover History Working Group. Uh, today, we had a, a delightful opportunity to host uh, Matthew Lowenstein, uh, who presented to us a wonderful uh, working paper on the obsolescence of the horse, predicting the future of humanity in a world dominated by artificial intelligence. Uh, it is a special joy for me to introduce Matthew because Matt and I have a long history. We began our PhD programs at the same time when I foolishly turned down the opportunity to go to UChicago and work with Ken Pomerantz and instead came out here. Uh, but I'm, you know, it's been quite fortunate that Matt uh, eventually also came out here west and, and, and joined us at Hoover. Uh, Matthew uh, is a Hoover fellow here at the Hoover Institution. Uh, he studies uh, modern China uh, from the late Qing to the early People's Republic. Uh, he currently has a book on the way, uh, which uh, focuses on the China's indigenous financial system from about 1820 to about 1911. Uh, he has other interests, of course. Uh, those include Chinese accounting, the political economy of warlordism, and the history of central economic planning. Uh, he used to work as a securities analyst in Beijing and New York, uh, uncovering corporate malfeasance, and he has written before for The Diplomat and Foreign Policy. And lastly, he's the winner of the 2022 Saller Prize, which is given to the best dissertation in UChicago's uh, Social Sciences Division. Um, so without further uh, delay, Matt, uh, welcome. Uh, again, I think this is your second appearance here at the uh, Hoover History Working Group. I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, very quickly, uh, what motivated you to work on artificial intelligence? This is quite far afield from your usual uh, work. Uh, what was what was the motivation for that? Yeah, well, first, great to be here, Manny. It's it's uh, we have known each other a long time, and it's it's always a pleasure to. Uh, uh, make a public appearance together and to be back on the podcast. Um, my, my motivations are just, um, uh, concern, uh, and indeed, uh, a fear about, uh, what, what extremely powerful AI might hold in store for us all. So I, like, like many others, I read, uh, Nick Bostrom's super intelligence and then, um, uh, some other, uh, uh, similar writings on it. And, the scary thing is that people who say AI could pose an existential threat seem to have really, really powerful arguments. And then uh, digging deeper, when um, uh, I I look at you know what people really close to the the technology are saying, um, looking for some some reassurance, I found none. And I found that uh, everyone who works on this is actually very concerned. And I thought, oh, uh, this is bad. This is really bad. This is really serious. And and um, uh, I thought maybe there is a way I can I can write something that will uh, illustrate the nature of the threat and persuade people to take it seriously. Fantastic. I will say I've had the same experience of all the engineers that I know in the valley here. The ones that do work on this technology are all pessimistic, and the people that are optimistic happen yeah. to just never work in AI. Um. So walk us a little bit through the argument. So you trace the relationship of humans and horses uh, since their history, I think, of uh, began with the domestication of, of the horse. Um, what was that initial relationship like? What did it encompass and how long did it last? So that's a, that's a great question. Uh, there, there are a couple of different ways you could answer it. In some ways, 
that relationship lasted nearly 6,000 years, uh, possibly even longer, depending on when horses were in fact domesticated, um, uh, which was, you know, at least uh, something like 3,500 BC, but quite possibly uh, significantly earlier. Um, and and uh, from then until, um, until at the mid 20th century, horses were an essential element in uh, human economic life. So that's one way to, to, period, to periodize it. Another way is to look at, you know, how horses were essential um, so for the first, um, uh, uh, three or four millennia, they were, they were essential for, um, uh, mostly for military purposes and to a lesser extent for transportation. And they had some other uses in agriculture too, but oxen were the main beast of burden for, for agriculture. And then, so that relationship changed, uh, over the course of the middle ages between 1000, um, AD and, uh, uh, the eve of the industrial revolution, uh, horses became the the essential draft animal for for farmers, and this is driven uh, largely by technological changes, also to some extent by social changes and by a growing economy, which made it more uh, more cost effective to use horses, which are more powerful and energy efficient uh, for hauling. Um, and then uh, this changed again in the uh, over the course of the Industrial Revolution, when horses became used in industry. And the, what's really interesting about the Industrial Revolution is that uh, a lot of the things that industrial technology did were substitutes for the horse. So horses were the uh, used in in carrying freight and passengers across long distances. And once you get a steamship or, or a railroad, you don't need horses to to go along where the rail rail line goes along. And so you might think that, well, this is going to cost horses a lot of jobs. Uh, but the contrary is, the, is what happened. Uh, so because the overall volume of people increased so much, the, the increase in demand for horses for short haul way well overcompensated for the decrease in demand for horses over long haul. So the early industrial revolution was excellent for horses. Uh, and so- oh. Yeah, I so, was going to ask very quickly. So, just to characterize this development, yes, yeah, in primarily as instruments of war uh, and yeah. then instruments of transportation, uh, and I think we see this happen. I think in the Central Asia and kind of Chinese yeah. uh, home provinces dynamic. Um, That's right. But you're saying that this changes and they become primarily inputs into agricultural production and and then short haul transportation. That's that right. Correct? That's right. And so, but you can categorize this entire, the, the human horse relationship during this entire sweep of history is um, marked by uh, gradually increasing demand for horses as a result of uh, growth in, in human capabilities. So human technology grows, humans are more prosperous, we need more horses. So this is something you address in the paper, which is that uh, there were in fact, uh, what would, people would say are horse doomsayers um, yeah. uh, or horse doomers, yeah. parallel AI doomers, who were warning about the coming obsolescence of the horse at the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, and they worried that horses would be wiped out. Why did that not happen? Yeah, that's right. So so um, they, they worried uh, that some, some worried that uh, bicycles would replace the ho horses. Uh, it seems seems a bit um uh, funny now, but but that that was a fear, and uh, others worried that canals and railroads would, and you know the the doomers um, 
were right in the long run that that technology could and would replace the horse. They were wrong about um, uh, they were wrong about how easy that would be. They didn't see that that even when you replace the horse for some uh, uses, as long as you grew the economy enough, it would increase demand for horses for other uses. And the railroad is, as you say, the best example of this. Um, a railroad companies required horses just for moving railroad cars around uh, anywhere that there wasn't a, a, a railway. And, and so horse demand continued to grow, but you did eventually hit that inflection point. And so the, the relationship between human and horse hits this, hits an inflection point in around, um, uh, well, somewhere in the 20th century, but certainly by 1920. And at that point, what you get is, um, human technology can now do almost anything that a horse can do better than a horse can. And so no matter how much the economy grows, it does not redound toward greater demand for horses. Even this took a little time to build out. You needed an, you needed uh, infrastructure of, of roads going to farms so that you could get produce to the market without a horse. And you don't really get that until after the war. Um, you need... Uh, combined uh, 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 mechanized agriculture, combined threshers so that you don't need horses on, on the, on to help you, uh, uh, you know, plant uh, and, and uh, harvest food. And then um, uh, you need, you need trucks uh, to replace a horse in, in freight hauling. I was looking over the graph. I think that you presented in the paper, you compiled some statistics, yeah. uh, the horse and pony and, donkey population in the United States peaks uh, above 25 million in 1920. Yeah. Uh, but by 1970, it is, it, it looks here at around a, a million or, or sorry, roughly stable at around 3 million. So the collapse in population is quite dramatic. Yeah. Um, so zooming a bit back from the history of the horse and, and humans, though, I'm sure we could dive you know, we could talk a lot more about industrialization and draft animals uh, for a long time. What is the analogy that you're drawing here with the human AI relationship? Yeah. Are, are, are horses a stand-in for humans? And, and you're, you know, what, what's the argument and what are, yeah. uh, you know, what, what kind of arguments in the public sphere are you kind of addressing with this example? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Great, great question. So, Yes, the population uh, collapse is dramatic, and horses are a standard for humans in this in this uh, uh, model. They're they're a kind of analogy for humans under AI, and what the the analogy is meant to uh, illustrate is that um, uh, the opportunity costs of preserving uh, something that is no longer economically useful to you and is not something that you value in and of itself is extremely high. So if you have an AI that doesn't isn't specifically seeking um, to maximize human welfare, uh, but has some other set of goals, it will be um, uh, pushed to consume resources that humans need and not leave uh, enough left for us to survive. And we see this in the case of the horse. And what's just interesting about the horse is people actually do value horses. Today, we, we still keep qu quite you know, a few horses around because we like to have them as pets, but we don't value them enough. We didn't value them enough to devote in perpetuity huge amounts of land to growing horse feed. 
Um, and so there were these incredibly powerful economic incentives that meant even though people are quite fond of horses, horse populations had to shrink. And those incentives will be there for AIs as, too, as well. And so even if they have no particular animus toward humans, AIs will face, as long as they have goals of their own, they will face uh, intense economic incentives to not leave us with, uh, with sufficient resources. And what I found most striking about your paper is that uh, it addresses kind of this argument, I think, that's popular in Silicon Valley that mm. uh, technological improvements yep. are always beneficial uh, to humanity because other technologies and technological breakthroughs have been beneficial. Uh, what you did was draw a different type of analogy, which is one of interspecies cooperation or symbiosis, really. Yeah. And what you show is that a relationship can be symbiotic and mutually beneficial for a long time yeah. and then can abruptly turn to one of indifference. And one could argue that humans are mostly indifferent to most animals on the planet. And that hasn't, you know, that hasn't yeah. uh, done very much for, for all these animals. Uh, so we'd like to to ask one last question, which is uh, what kind of recommendations or advice would you have for people thinking about AI policy uh, or people that might be tuning in? How to think about this? You know, the the big takeaway from this paper is just um, to take to take the threat of uh, existential risk seriously, and to think about you know dramatically slowing down or halting advances in um, sophisticated uh, AI systems. Um, you know, it 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 may seem like um, like a science fiction concern, but there's a pretty good uh, reasons to suspect that that uh, sufficiently powerful artificial intelligence would be extremely uh, uh, dangerous and and very very likely deadly. Well, thank you, Matt, uh, again for for a fantastic paper and for this interview. Uh, this is a historian's warning using the past <laughs> to tell us about the dangers of the future. Uh, again, my name is Manny Rincon Cruz here at the Hoover uh, History Working Group. Manny, a pleasure. Thank you, Matt.